This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Eight years ago, a man who was not Sandra A. Miller's husband invited her on an armchair treasure hunt. A search for $10,000 worth of gold coins buried in New York City of all places. When she said she'd go, her world was upended. At the time, Sandra was helping her ailing mother to die and her almost teenage children to fly. But her biggest challenge was the confusion she felt about entering middle age and the shame of craving something more when she had so much already. A devoted husband, a decent career, and a community of close friends who knew how to rock a potluck. But isn't that how life is sometimes? We ache for something we can't even name, but we don't know what to do about it. Or we do but we don't do it. In Sandra's case, that treasure hunt for gold coins stirred her longing heart into action. In a very real way, she'd spent her life hunting for buried treasure. As a child, she trained herself to find things. Dropped hair clips, shiny bits of broken glass, discarded lighters, Looking to escape from her often unhappy childhood in a Connecticut factory town, she found deeper meaning and a good deal of hope in these objects that she collected in a broken shoebox, my trove. As an adult facing the loss of her mother who was at once cold, difficult, and wildly funny, Sandra found herself, as she so often did as a little girl, pressed against a wall of her own longing. Her search for gold, which soon became an obsession, forced her to dredge up painful pieces of her past and confront the true source of her sorrow. Soon she was wandering down dark paths she otherwise would never have taken, hoping to discover what she'd been looking for all those years and putting everything at risk for a treasure hunt. Valeria interviews Sandra A. Miller, the author of Trove, A Woman's Search for Truth and Buried Treasure. Her essays and articles have appeared in over 100 publications, including Modern Bride, The Boston Globe Magazine, The Christian Science Monitor, The Washington Post, and Glamour. One of her essays was turned into a short film called Wait, starring Carrie Washington. Sandra lives in the Boston area, teaches writing at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. She also leads spirit-filled writing workshops in person and online. Sandra's website is sandraamiller.com. Here is the interview with Sandra A. Miller. In your own words, who is Sandra A. Miller? Sandra A. Miller is a very open human being who considers herself to be, in terms of actual identities, a mother, a writer, a teacher, a wife, a friend, but also a treasure hunter. And that identity has become particularly strong since a year ago when I published my book, Trove, A Woman's Search for Truth and Buried Treasure. And I really outlined my book 
in terms of, or I outlined my life in my book, it's a memoir, in terms of how I go about searching for treasure in the world and being open to the treasures that are all around us and the treasure that we're looking for and the treasure within. So I could give a lot, a much longer answer to that question, but right now I consider myself a well-rounded treasure hunter. Yeah, I have lots of questions for you here on that. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Trove, A Woman's Search for Truth in Buried Treasure, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is your other word for treasure? My other word for treasure? That's an interesting question because I don't think there is one other word for treasure. Treasure to me is so all-encompassing. It relates to my family. My children are my treasures, my husband, uh, my students, the things that I find on the ground that I pick up and put into my trove every day are my treasures. So they're actual physical things in the world too. My life work, which is which is writing and communicating joy to people, also my treasure. So I feel like treasure is this very sort of powerful, all-encompassing word. And I can't quite give it a synonym or give it another word, but I can say that it's a way that I it's a way that I define myself. So through my through treasure, so it has far more implications than just just one word itself. It's interesting though. The word treasure comes from uh, Greek thesaros, which means storage or storehouse or words. So we think of the word we think of the word thesaurus, which comes from that which derives from the same root. And it's funny because as a writer, words are truly my treasure. My I guess thesaurus, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. And so the way that words and treasure are connected for me and connect back um, back through there, through the, the lineage of the word is actually quite interesting to me. So in one way, I have many treasures, words being, words being one of them. Yeah. Your book is all about the, the treasures within and also the ones outside. So I'm wondering if we can connect them. I think they have to, to feel. Um, a sense of wholeness when you're when you identify as a treasure hunter or when you're looking for your treasure. You know, it's it's funny because I have a very I had a very clear search that I detailed in my book, and treasure means something different to everyone. So there are many people who are actually looking for something very specific in the world. They want to have a baby or. Or they want that job that's going to fulfill them, or they want the money so they can get the beautiful beach house, or they want time to themselves, or they want they want to be healthy again. And those are very sort of specific, identifiable treasures. But I think that even if you get those things you want, I don't think they have the same meaning unless you actually feel the depth of satisfaction, you feel the gold inside, you feel the treasure in your spirit, you feel connected to spirit and you feel an inner satisfaction. And in that way, I think we can have all sorts of treasures. There are, there are people who, have, who are certainly in possession of some wonderful treasures in this world, but unless they have that sense of internal satisfaction or they, <laughs> they have nothing, honestly. So true. I agree. When you say treasure, I think about the things I value. It sounds like playful too, the way you speak of searching, looking for treasure, like it's playful. So playful. It's a lot of fun. You know, I started when I was a little girl looking for treasures on the ground, picking things up and and making meaning of them. And I would find coins and buttons and little clips and I would interpret them like treasures. Um, I used to find those soda pull tabs that you, um, in the seventies before the, 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 when you could open a can, now you push in and, and it stays attached to the can. But in the old days, when I was young, you actually had a, had these silver pull tabs. I used to find them on the ground and collect them. They look like keys. They're shaped almost like keys. And I used to believe that they were, they were, um, keys to some other alternative universe that I could enter if I could just find the right door. So treasure does have very playful connotations for me. It's the sense of finding things, um, making meaning of them, finding magic in the world. And 
oftentimes I'll be shown some kind of treasure, something on the ground, and there will be some coincidence that connects to it. Um, and it's it's not a coincidence, as someone I once said, confirmation um, that, that we're aligning with the universe, that we're open in our hearts to searching, we're having fun with it. It becomes a very joyful, playful thing to look for treasure in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this idea, though. It's a wonderful healing method, even. So um, what does it mean to be a human being to you? Oh, to be a human being. You ask good questions. Tough ones, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, how long do we have? <laughs> That's okay. Let me, let me see if I can give a, a, a short, more concise answer. I think to really be in touch with your humanity, your spirit, your beingness, is really simple. I think it's about love. I think it's about having an open heart, connecting with people in the world, being being open to discovery, to discovering things you love. You know, there's so much, we're in such tumultuous times right now. Um, there's, there's so much polarization and so much of humanity is, <laughs> seems to be at war with the rest of humanity. Um, but if we could all just stop and pull back <laughs> and be like, whoa, what, what is this about? We, we love life, right? That's what we love. we love. We love life. We love the planet. We love our families. We love the earth. We want to be here. I think about the pandemic now and how it's really forced us to look at how much we love life. Um, when we were put face to face with death, um, many people still are, right? This We don't really know where this is going to lead. But um, I, wrote a, I wrote an article for my blog called about the pandemic called What's Love Got to Do With This? And I think the pandemic is really shining a light on how much, how much we love the world, how much we love being in the world. So as a human being, I think it means embracing, embracing love. I think it can be distilled down to something as large and simple as that. <laughs> Yeah, and it is large. Yeah, love. And speaking of love, this is one of my questions for later on, but I'll ask you now because you mentioned the word. What is love to you, Sandra? Oh, I don't know that I can put it in words. It's so, so many things. It's all the sappy love songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, sure. it's romantic love. It's passion. <laughs> it's um there, there are no words for the love I feel for my kids, my children, right? I go out and I stand out in my backyard and I look at the sky and I look at the willow tree and I eat a raspberry off the bush and I think, could I love this planet anymore? My dad was, my dad was an env- environmentalist. He was, a, he was a passionate environmentalist. He used to golf a lot. And his golf buddies told me after he died many, many years ago, he, they said, he would stop on the golf course and he would look around and he'd say, anybody who doesn't love this world must be crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it's a big word. It's a, but, but I think it's a, it's a very felt word. It's a word that we have to actually feel to connect to it. So I'm going to come up short on that one. Your father just mentioning that how much he valued, speaking of values and, and treasures. Yeah. He treasured earth. Usually women, they're more in touch with that. Um, so my other question is about freedom. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Or what is to be free? To not be, have a full sense of, of your authenticity, if that makes sense. To live your life in a real, honest, <laughs> true way, the way that truth feels true to you. I know that feels very, very different. And some, some people's version of truth are in conflict with others, but I think we're all on our own path in life. We all come from different places. We're all on a different stage of this journey. So to live in a way that feels authentic, to not have to hurt people, to not have to be aggressive or cruel in any way, because you feel like your own life is threatened or your own principles and to have a sense that you can draw a deep breath at night and sleep well because um, you're not afraid and many people don't live with freedom I feel like we have a lot of luxuries here um, in many ways not all of us but um, I certainly have and I have the luxury 
of feeling free in many senses of that word. And, but I'm also very, very conscious that it is a luxury. I think it's everybody's right to feel, to experience freedom, but not everybody does. That is for sure. I think that's what a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement is about, right? To value freedom for everybody, which is really coming into question right now about who really is free. So I think it's an interesting moment that we can all look at our freedoms, question question them. And, and for those of us who feel that freedom, we should fall on our knees and be grateful for that every single day of our lives. So true, Sandra. And I know you mentioned earlier the pandemic and everything that's happening in the world at this time. So let me ask you this question. What do you think is the world's greatest need at this time? Oh, so many needs, so many needs. Those of us who have something to give right now, I think we need to give. Um, and that's, that. again, that's, that's a scaled thing. That's different for everybody, right? Some of us can give time. Some of us can give money. Some of us can give our medical expertise. And some of us can't do more than sit, sit, <laughs> sit in our houses and, and draw a breath and take care of ourselves. And for those people who have to do that, then that's what, that's what they can do right now. Do their best to stay healthy and to stay well and to stay alive in this world in a, in a healthy, loving place. But I feel like the world needs all of us right now to um, step out and say, how can I serve? I once, um, I heard Oprah Winfrey speak at UMass Lowell, um, University of Massachusetts Lowell, where I teach. And she came two years ago and she said, every day she wakes up and the first question she asks is, how can I serve today? And I think that the quickest way to, to get <laughs> what we want is to give. And I think those two work um, synchronously. And by giving of ourselves, by opening our heart, by being generous with our many, many gifts, I think that we are rewarded. And I don't think we give the gifts in order to get the reward, but I think that's just what happens. I think that if you practice If you practice the spirit, if you practice giving and you live your life in the spirit of generosity and giving of what you can on whatever scale you're able to do that, you will be amazed at, at how your life becomes fuller. Yeah, and I agree 100%. Yes. Do you have a vision for a new reality after this is over, if it is over? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do. I, it will be over. I have a vision that I hold on to. I fall asleep sometimes thinking about it. Um, I've been spending a lot of time outside listening to all the new birds this year. Everything feels different this year without, with less pollution, less traffic, um, less cars going by, less, um, just less noise. And nature's very attuned to that. And anybody who's spent any time in nature since March will recognize that the animals are out in full force right now. The birds are singing. They're so happy. They're fighting in my bird bath every day, a little, you know, to flash. And I'm seeing, um, as I see nature and the planet wake up, I have this hope, a <laughs> vision, I can call it, that we will continue to recognize that we have to find a way to still ourselves and to pollute less, to value the environment more. You know, the, the studies are being conducted now on the effect of the pandemic on, on pollution levels and ultimately what could be the outcome. But there is, there is some hope around this that, that with people with less pollution, people are, are far more cognizant of how we can help the planet. This is a moment. We are being given a moment that we can work together to recognize what the planet needs to survive. So my vision involves recognizing, particularly environmentally, what our planet needs now so we can go on and fight for our freedoms. <laughs> wow, I love that, what you said. We are giving a moment to reflect, right, more. Mm -hmm. mm. It is a pause. You know, I, I, I appreciate that so many people struggle, are struggling with this. They've lost their jobs. There's, there's, I, I have sincere and deep appreciation that this is a time of struggle for many, many people. I'm one of the lucky ones who isn't 
struggling in too, too many ways. But I also was so grateful for March and April and the chance to slow down. I was, we were so frantic all the time, right? We're always in motion and we're always on to the next thing and going to dinner and ordering takeout and rushing here and there. I was so happy to rest, um, to put a fire on the fireplace and mm-hmm. not get in my car for several days at a time. And again, it's been hard for a lot of people. And I'm in a position where I can, I can, um, I was able to rest a little bit in that time. But, but I also did things like reached out to people in the community and tried to do what I could in terms of supporting those who were not able to rest. So it's a time to give back. But I also really enjoyed it. I like the winter anyway. I like, I like hibernating. I like out here. You don't have that in Long Beach, but here in the Boston area, the snowfall really quiets us. So I really, I like that time of quiet and going inside. And I felt like, I felt like the pandemic in many ways, whether it's been a hard time or a blessing for some, I feel like it is a chance for everyone to pause and to reevaluate. I love that yeah, they, you were able to see the opportunity yeah, behind of what is happening. And hopefully all of us will be able to see the same thing, the opportunities uh, that come with challenges. So what do you love most about being a woman? I love that I never have to question my expressiveness. <laughs> I never have to pull back. Okay, now I do because of the pandemic. I certainly can't just hug my friends and, you know, smother them with love. But in the same way, I can do it energetically, but I can't do it now, right? But um, what I love, I love that I, um, women are given the gift of never, almost never having to question um, whether they can express um, affection or love um, where we, as a mother, I was, <laughs> I, we get to train on our children, <laughs> but you don't have to be a mother, certainly to be an expressive woman. And so, um, I don't, I don't hesitate to hug and to kiss and to, to gush. And, uh, so that's one thing I love. And I just love the experience of being with, with other women, with people of my gender, with, um, that, that creative spirit, that love energy, that, it's just, it's a very, very powerful experience to recognize what it's like to be a woman, especially when I'm surrounded by other women. We, we sort of seem to, as we shine a mirror on each other's um, gifts, we become more powerful, I think. So, so um, I love men too, you know, I, <laughs> no, that's not off the table by any, by any means, you know, I adore my husband, but there is something wonderful about, about being with female friends and just the ability to to appreciate and to recognize and to compliment and to gush over. That's beautiful. <laughs> and I agree. True. What is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? Well, I think a lot of the challenges um, that recently, finally, um, I don't know what took the world so long, a lot of, a light has been shined on many, many of the challenges in terms of women's oppression, um, women not being valued or feeling made to feel less than. We still see um, discrepancies in in women's pay. The the truth is, um, it's absolutely ridiculous that this country cannot manage to elect a female president, that that is considered to be some, you know, a far reaching goal. Absolutely ridiculous. But it goes to show the level of sexism that still exists in our society today. And it's absolutely unacceptable that men cannot recognize the value of women, that they still feel that threatened by women, that women are judged for their looks, their weight, (laughs) their hair, their makeup, the sound of their voice, where men can get away with pretty near everything. So my, I guess the biggest challenge of being a woman is that um, there's a a large part of the population that doesn't recognize our value. And I'm lucky because I get to say that in the United States. There are certainly women in, in countries with their, where they are now not allowed to speak up for themselves. And they are devalued to the point that they don't have their, their full humanity. And so I think that's, that's the biggest challenge is that um, I think everybody needs to recognize 
and honor and respect the full, our full humanity. And that's your vision, right? I love that. Um, yeah, yes, true. I have one more question. Um, this is about God. My last question, a warm-up question. What, where, and who is God to you? God to me, I grew up with a very Catholic God, um, a sense of God as an old guy with a white beard. <laughs> yeah. that was my childhood vision. I was actually lucky. I had lovely Catholic schools that I went to, but I got confused about God. But part of my path and my search in life has been to find a God that feels right to me. And and I have, I found, sometimes I call it oneness, sometimes I call it the universe. It This God, um, this God or goddess, this God, she touches everything. She's mutable, she, immutable. She's, she's in every drop of water. She's in She's in my bloodstream, um, part of everything, all-encompassing love and beauty. And so to be able to walk down the street or lie in bed or be in a crowded place and know that, that's, that God is around you, that's a really, that's a, a really gives me a very peaceful and quieting sense. So yeah, God is everywhere. God is everywhere, and it's a cliche, but she is love. <laughs> I love the way you say that. Yeah, it is. Uh, I felt the, the peacefulness, and she's everywhere. That's wonderful too. <laughs> so um, let's talk about your work. And my first question had to be this one: How did you become a writer, Sandra? Ooh, well, <laughs> I think I've, I think I had it in me for a very, very long time. And um, but I had I, I had actually a, a lucky um, thing happen to me when I went to college. I went to college, and my first year, I thought that I'd be a psychology major because a lot of us who try to work out our problems with our dysfunctional families often turn to psychology. And so that seemed like a good, a good track for me. And then I took a literature course my first semester of my freshman year. And the teacher said to me, she gave me back my first paper and I'd written about some poems. And she said, you're a very good writer. You should be an English major. And that was all it took. <laughs> I just needed some smart woman to recognize me and value me in that way. And it was a really powerful moment. I thought, you know what? If she saw me in a way that she allowed me to see myself and I decided to become an English major. And that led to me taking many writing courses and to declaring myself um, a writer, even when I wasn't really writing things or publishing things beyond my schoolwork. But um, But I did some nice, I had some nice jobs after college. I went, I worked in publishing as an editor for Viking Penguin. Then I worked as a literary agent. And after that, I got a teaching job in Japan. And I had a lot of time on my hands because I had very, I had, I only taught for about seven hours a week and I had long vacations. And so there in a little apartment in Tokyo with a tatami mat floor and rice paper doors, I sat down and I decided that I really was going to be a writer and I started writing and pretty soon I was selling things and I thought I'm a writer and I just kept building on that. So it happened, it really, it happened for real around the time I was 24 and feeling very lonely and isolated in an apartment in Tokyo. Wow. That sounds wonderful to me. <laughs> um, talk to me about the inspiration and also the intention of writing your book, Trove. Yeah, it's interesting. In 2005, uh, my friend David sent me an email that said he was looking, uh, he knew of a, he knew of $10,000 in gold coins buried in New York City. And did I want to go with him to look for it and to, to dig it up? And I thought, yes, I absolutely do. It was a tough time. Um, my mom was very sick. She, she was in her final years. My children were outgrowing me. My husband and I were going through some, going through a tense time. And I really felt called to go to New York City with David and to look for this treasure. And I thought, I need this right now. I need it. I don't even know why I need it, but I need it. And on, in that experience of looking for that treasure in New York City, it opened me to a bigger search, a search for the connection to my mom that I never had, to the dad that I lost when I was 19, um, to what I wanted to do with my life. I was in my 40s at the time, and I was kind of about to enter into a nice midlife crisis. So I feel like um, 
I wrote that book with the intention, um, or I was called to write that book with the intention of sharing my story of going on a treasure hunt, an actual treasure hunt, as well as looking for a deeper treasure inside. And I wanted women in particular, but everybody who reads it, I wanted them to be more compassionate for their own search, for people to read the book and say, okay, this is available to me. Things might be hard in my life. This might not be the ideal time, but this treasure that I need to find, I can go find it. So partly I had to tell my story. I was a writer and I wanted to tell it, but I also felt like um, I wanted to inspire other people or make other people um, more sensitive to the to the possibilities available to them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. It comes across. So what is to live a life like a treasure hunt? Or what is to be a treasure hunter in life every day? <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, I, I grew up, as I said, as a treasure hunter. I was always looking for treasures on the sidewalk and making meaning of these little found things. But I think, I think being a treasure hunter, everybody is searching for their own idea of treasure, right? Their own sense of fulfillment. But I think that to be a treasure hunter is to be open to what's out there in the world, to see the clues, to make meaning of the clues, to put things together and say, ah, i I've been looking, I've been thinking about changing my career and here's this opportunity that I'm seeing here to go back to school. Hmm, is this, am I, am I getting a message <laughs> to see the messages, to see signs? I think signs are everywhere. If we, if we look for them, if we, if we expect to find them, you know, so many people are lost in their phones right now that their heads are down. They're scrolling through Instagram, looking at everybody else's treasures and they forget to just look up and see what's out there in the world for them. So, I think being a treasure hunter is being um, really being attuned to not just nature, but but whatever's out there in the world. Before the pandemic, I used to I used to practice my treasure hunting skills in the grocery store. I used to go into the grocery store and I would smell the lemons and I'd smell the cilantro and I'd look at the offerings and I'd think, oh, look at all of these things available to me. Let me really let me really notice them in a in a sensory way, right? So I. I'd smell and I'd look and I'd touch. And when there were samples, I'd taste. And I would slow down and say, um, I would use it as a chance. I would use going to the grocery store, which is something I used to hate. And then I came to love it as a chance to slow down, to practice noticing, to practice using all of my senses. So pandemic strikes right now, we're all, <laughs> we all have to be so careful. We go through grocery stores with our masks on. It's a different story, but we can practice being a treasure hunter in other ways. Go out into nature, leave your phone behind or shut it off, put it on airplane mode, move slowly through the world. Look at the, look at the beauty of the leaves. Notice the, notice the plants you never saw before, or what is it? What do, what do, what do clouds smell like, right? What is after the rain? What does that smell like? And I think, I think if we become attuned to our world in a truly, in a truly open and thoughtful and sensitive way, treasures appear all around us, big and small. I agree. I love that idea of slowing down and resting more, even within action. But I'm wondering if in order to do that, slow down in a world, we need to slow down within first. Um, I think it, I think they work in, in harmony. I think that if we can actually physically practice slowing down, I think we, we slow down within uh, you know, we, we've been, <laughs> we've been rushing for a long time now, right? And technology True. makes us rush more, right? Yeah. Um, always, always on our phones. There's always someone to text, always, you know, always something to say to somebody. And um, I grew up in a time, I'm 55 and I grew up in a time where we just dealt with boredom and boredom was a great teacher. I think boredom is such a, being slow, being away from distractions is a way to really, really hone your creativity, really harness your creativity. I, I see so many people who will, young people who will never get to practice the creative gifts they have because they're so distracted right now. So, um, and they don't have, you know, they're, they're too busy on social media to, to sit down with the piano for hours or, or sit down and write for hours. In that Tokyo apartment, I had no connection 
to the outside world. A phone call cost a dollar a minute. Um, I couldn't talk to people. I was alone and that seeded my career as a writer. So I think, um, I think by slowing down, we do ourselves such a great favor inside and out. Um, and, and we develop, we develop that calm within our creative gifts thrive. We slow down. So true. (laughs) So, so true. Um, I have a question for you here that I found to be very interesting, something that I read. Why do you think is there shame when we feel and crave something more than we already have? Yeah, I think so many of us grow up with a sense that um, we should be grateful for what we have (laughs) and we shouldn't ask for more. In my book, I explore that because I was at a point in my life, I was in my mid forties. I had, had a really love, I have a lovely husband, I had two great kids. I had a job, um, a nice home, a nice community, but there was this sense of not feeling deeply fulfilled. And I've talked to a lot of women um, in the process of writing this book. It was a seven-year process of writing and through to publication. And I talked to hundreds of women about the subject. And I know so many women, particularly sort of late 30s, up toward middle age, where they start saying, oh, I'm, I'm longing for something and I can't even name it. And I feel like I should just be so satisfied and happy. How lucky am I? I have a family. I have a job. I'm not out on the street. I have enough money. I can go on a vacation every year. But there's this sense of wanting something, deep fulfillment. I do think that we all have a reason, a purpose for being in the world. And I think that gnaws at many people who don't get to experience or explore that. Um, so many people feel like they can't, they don't have the time, they don't have the money. It would mean upsetting their lives too much. So I think instead it turns into this shame. Oh, I should just, I should just be happy with what I have. I'm, I'm fine. How lucky am I? When in fact, I think that the way to truly open your life, to truly experience um, the gifts of this life and, and the treasure within are to say, you know what? I want, I long for something and I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to go after it or explore that and to not just tamp down the longing as if it doesn't belong there. I say embrace the longing because I think it leads you down some wonderful paths. Wow, that's true. I'm wondering how do we know when we are there, when we have finally found that something missing? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, I might, speaking for myself, uh, part of my journey in writing this book was seeing it through to publication. And that felt really important to me. I have a lot of friends who are writers, but they don't feel the same need to publish or have their book in the world in a, you know, in a, to see it, to see a physical manifestation of their creativity, right? Many of us do, but not everybody does. I did. And I had this feeling of, I want to tell my story of finding treasure. I want to, um, really write it so so it has some resonance with people who, who, uh, who are full of longing, who have a need to search, and I want to publish it and be able to hold the physical copy of my book in my hands. My, my treasure, my search, right? Very, very personal. And when I did that, I felt such fulfillment because I saw my project through in a very deliberate way. And it was very satisfying to me. And each of us has a very unique longing. Each of us wants for something different for those of us who want. And I do feel like um, for some, it's an open-ended question. (laughs) What am I looking for? Some go through life with a sense of feeling very fulfilled. They don't carry the longing. Um, But for those who who can identify something very specific, I often think there is an end point. I find there is an end point for people where they recognize, oh, this is it. I did it. I arrived. I, I went after it. And I can, I can say I fulfilled that. And, and it kind of feels like a clicking into place. Um, I very much felt a click in place when I finally held my book in my hands um, after so many years of wanting this thing. So... Um, I don't think it's, I don't think there's one 
answer. And I think some people will always long and some people will, will, will reach the end of their quest and feel a real sense of satisfaction and then move on to the next quest. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel at this moment that there is something still that you would like to accomplish, to have, to experience? In a personal way, I like the idea of making my voice bigger in the world. I have more stories to tell, um, more of my journey to share. And um, I want to go through the world. I want to open to the possibilities but of other, other adventures that I might pursue. But right now, personally, I feel like my gifts in, are as a writer. And that's also connected to my, um, to the more, to the more I, I want to share my stories and share my message through words. My daughter, when, when the Black Lives Movement um, took off with George Floyd's death, I said to my daughter, um, I want to do something. I was going to protest up the street and I was trying to put my sort of put my energy toward that in any way that felt helpful. And I said to my daughter, I want to do more. And she said, you're a writer, mom. You have to, you have to do this through your writing. And I thought, she's absolutely right. Um, now, I'm not the white answer in any way to the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when I have something to share with the world and something important that I want to say or communicate, I do it through writing. Mm. So... Wow, let me know when you write something that you want to talk about um, regarding anything, any meaningful subject. So I have a few more questions for you, call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything, Sandra, or read a passage in your book? There's one small passage that people might enjoy because it relates to the longing that I have in the book. Uh, it's just a couple paragraphs. It was coming on twilight, that fleeting time of day that always felt like lost to me. Already I could sense the minutes slipping away to the tinny sounds of a carnival soundtrack. Where, I asked out loud over the monotonous jingle, where is the treasure? Closing my eyes and opening my fists as if catching rain, I lifted my hands over my head, not really caring that I looked like a TV evangelist praising the Lord. Where, I asked again, as I had so many times before under wildly different circumstances. As a child, it was where are the parents who are supposed to love me. Later, it warped into where is my life's path, the great adventure, the feeling of wholeness. I sometimes wondered if where was my first word. I just didn't want it to be my last. I'd been looking for that intangible where for my entire life. And here I was on a Friday afternoon in a defunct Brooklyn airport, ignoring my children Hissing off my husband, looking again because I didn't know what else to do. Where, where, where? Wow. You're a wonderful writer. <laughs> Not that you don't know it, but I have to say it. And <laughs> beautiful. Thank writer. you. That feeling of wholeness, right? So, my final question is How do you define success these days, Sandra? Success is a sense of having done your absolute best at something. Um, you've, you've given of your heart. You've given of your time, your energy. You've probably been exhausted for a few nights or a couple of years of nights. And you put everything you could into it. Um, when I was faced with trying to find a publisher for this book, I knew how hard it was to publish memoir and to find a to find a publisher for memoirs that are not about some sensational topic or written by a celebrity. And I said, what I can do here is I can do my absolute, absolute best. And if I explore every avenue and I've given it my all and this doesn't work out, then I've, I've still been <laughs> successful. And fortunately it did. Um, but I kind of use that gauge for different things, right? If I, if I, if I try something, if I don't get the desired result, but I did, I did everything and I'm being honest with myself in my power, um, in a thoughtful way, then I've, I've achieved. Yeah. What a great definition of success, right? 
achievement, it's the journey. Yeah, it's not just the destination, right? It's the journey. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Right. We're so hung up on that end point. Um, my friend Barry says when he when he undertakes something, he says, 100% attachment to the project, no attachment to outcome. And and that's amazing, right? When you I, I it took me a long time to learn to love the journey. I used to be a very restless person. I just wanted to skip the journey and take the jet right to the end point. And I, it was terrible. It was a really bad way to live because I, it's not living if you don't, if you don't like the journey. Um, you know, it's funny, studies show that people who are their happiest in life are in a place where they're actually striving for something, not after they've achieved. The happiness is in the journey. Um, and, and I feel that all the time. If I can if I can, if I can enjoy every moment of this journey, if I can live inside each moment of this journey, then it's been a successful, it's been a success. Mm. I love your wisdom. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Um, three more questions. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I think it's, I think it's probably the hardest thing to achieve because I think that's saying I have God within me and there's nothing wrong with me. So I think that goes back to your early question about earlier question about what is God? Um, when we have in unconditional self-love, then we've, we recognize that we are God. And, and I don't mean that in any sacrilegious way. I just mean it in the sense of universal love. I think it's hard. I think we, I think we're very conditioned toward judgment <laughs> and hatred and but oh those moments where we feel like in our we step into our power and we feel our power and embrace our beauty and um i think that that's that is us at our most powerful i had some really wonderful moments on my book tour in the fall where i felt very very in very much in my body in my spirit i felt very pleased with myself and proud of myself and just joyful. And they, they're very, they're very recognizable moments when we have them, when we feel that unconditional self-love. And I think to turn those moments into, into hours and hours into days, and then to go through the rest of our lives, just recognizing that why fight it, just feel it. <laughs> right. Wow. I love that. Yeah. A practice basically. Make it a yeah. practice. Yeah. yeah, it should be our meditation, right? Just sit and just bask in our love, right? Absolutely, Sandra. Two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Oh, yeah. I would just go right to the cabinet and I would eat all the chocolate myself in Germany for starters. Um, <laughs> I'm not even joking about that. I would just go for it right yeah. um why not and i knocked on wood when you said that um and <laughs> so funny. i would sit and um i would just invite people to put on their masks and come hug me up and time right slow down time time with people time with what else is there right and i think i think really we're in a time of what else is there we can't travel right now we can't focus on that wonderful trip to tuscany or oh i'm doing this or that right we are we are we are with ourselves and we are with the human beings in our pod or the ones we see on zoom and i think more so now than ever we we realize how our our how the importance of our our connectedness to, to the people we love. So I would just sit and eat chocolate and you know, people I love. <laughs> that sounds like a delicious party, <laughs> a soulful party. Um, one more question: What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? I know for sure that we have a limited time on this planet. And it's really not worth wasting doing things that aren't, that don't bring us love and don't bring love to the planet. We don't need to, we don't need to spend our time. It's, um, it's a quick drop in time, really, right? 84 years, 104 years, <laughs> however many years we have, right? 
it's such a short time on this planet. I do believe in reincarnation. That's not something I know for sure. Um, I wish I did, but I do believe that we will have many, many go-rounds. Our souls have a lot of chances, but this one lifetime with this particular set of people do go, go in love, go in love. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is I know that our the people who are the closest to us and who challenge us the most are often our biggest lessons. Um, those can be your children. Those can be your spouse, your mother. And the greatest gifts that we have on this planet are if we can recognize that those people who bring us a lot of pain also bring us our biggest growth lessons. And there's much, much to be learned there. And I know for sure that... I know for sure I'm really lucky. <laughs> we'll make it personal for a minute. I'm just really lucky. As I'm talking to you, I'm realizing that how how lucky I am um, to be having a conversation like this, to be to have the luxury to be able to talk about things that are as important as love and freedom and self-love and God. I'm very, very blessed to be able to to be able to think about these things and to actually feel them in my life. You're such a beautiful person. Thank you, Sandra, for your authentic presence, fun, <laughs> and your profound wisdom. Thank you. Thank you, Valeria. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So my website, sandraamiller.com, has a lot of my writing on it and links to my blog. I also have a big treasure hunt connected to my book that um, with a bracelet worth $2,500, a jeweled bracelet that I had made. So in my book, there's a treasure hunt. So if you follow that, you, if you go to my website, you can follow that treasure hunt and go searching for that. But sandraamiller.com is where to find me. But my book's also available on you know, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and um, IndieBound. So, and Brown Paper Press is my publisher out of Long Beach and she sells my books too. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now, Sandra. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Sandra A. Miller, please visit her website, sandraamiller.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>